Hey, I'm Kevin Kaufman. I'm joined with Fred Weaver. We are your host of the Kevin and Fred Next Level Podcast. Where five days a week you can get great real estate content. On Mondays, Kevin interviews a top rock star in the real estate space. Every Tuesday, we bring you industry headlines where we look back on the last seven days of news in real estate. Wednesdays and Fridays is iMinute where we talk about iBuyers in the real estate space. And Thursday, we bring you a weekly business tip. So listen to us anywhere podcasts can be listened to. You can watch most of these podcasts video form on YouTube and tune in five days a week. And make sure you connect with us on Facebook as well as visit kevinandfred.com and you can check out our referral guarantee, right, Kevin? kevinandfred.com forward slash guarantee. We'd love to receive your real estate referrals here in the Phoenix, Arizona area. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk with you soon. Hey, it's Kevin and Fred. Do you have a referral for us here in Phoenix? There are 30,000 agents here that you could send them to. Why us? Well, for one thing, we'll keep you updated and you'll never have to track down your commission. We'll also make you look really good to your client. And best of all, it helps us keep all this content free. So go to kevinandfred.com slash referral to make the introduction. We'll take great care of them. Hey guys, Kevin here. Today on my podcast, I've got a friend of mine. His name is Kyle Wilders. Now, I've been friends with Kyle for a few years because he's here in the Phoenix area as well. He's an investor. He guys flips a ton of homes, owns a bunch of rental homes. So we just kind of know each other uh, through mutual friends in the business. But the reason I had him on the show is because I've recently become a customer of his. He started a data company uh, a while ago, about a year or so ago now, maybe a little more than a, maybe a year and a half by the time this episode airs. And um, it's really interesting. I love when agents kind of transition and their career develops and evolves, and Kyle's certainly has. So I hope you're going to enjoy the episode today. So before we get started here and uh, hand it off to Kyle, I just want to remind you guys coming up on April 23rd, 24th, and 25th in Scottsdale is NLA Live. That's NLA Live's coming up. April 23rd, 24th, 25th, 2020. Uh, you can uh, get all the info at nlalive2020.com. That's nlalive2020.com. I got to tell you, I'm so excited. I just announced another one of our keynote speakers, Mark Willis. Mark is the former CEO. He's a former president of Keller Williams International. Um, he has done just about every job there is to do at Keller Williams Realty from team leader on up, and I'm so excited for him to come and share with us. So without further ado, uh, enjoy this episode with Kyle Wallows and do not forget, join us at NLA Live 2020 and you can do that at nlalive2020.com. All right, next level podcast listeners, we're back and today I'm joined by a good friend of mine and another local uh, fellow here, Kyle Wallows. Kyle, how's it going, man? Good, man, good. Awesome. Well, hey, Kyle, I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. We've uh, talked about doing this for a little while and I'm glad our, our uh, schedules finally lined up. This is uh, the chance for me to kind of put you in the hot seat since we're normally kind of just hanging back and talking about different stuff, but now, now's my chance to pepper you with questions. So I'm excited to finally do this. Perfect. Yeah. So am I. So, you know, Kyle, one of the things I'll just going to get right into it, man. One of the things I think is sort of unique about your story in the real estate world is you got into real estate like right away, right? Was that was pretty much first career. Yep, only career. Uh, so I did, uh, I worked at Hollister, I worked at Chipotle, and then I have been in real estate for 15 years. So Are you are you telling me you don't still work at Hollister on the weekends? 
I wish. Yeah. I took, <laughs> I got a lot of, a lot of discounted clothes. Yeah, awesome. So yeah, you know, you're one of the few, so many people that get into this industry, it's kind of like a second career for them or, you know, they yeah. realize they're tired of working for the man or whatever their other career is and they find their way into real estate, um, myself included, but you actually got into real estate right out of high school. What, what was it about real estate that uh, appealed to you? Low threshold. Uh, you know, I'll just be totally honest with you. You know, I graduated high school in 2005. Um, I graduated with a 1.8 GPA. It was the lowest graduating GPA. The only lower ones dropped out. Um, and so I was never a big school guy. Like I just, you know, it just never really made sense to me. Like, why am I learning these things? Or why, why do I need to know these things? Um, I was more of a practical use. Like I just want to kind of get out in the world and start kind of doing my thing. So I didn't want to go spend 40 grand a year at <clears throat> some university to get pumped out with, you know, a hundred thousand other kids that same year with a business admin degree or whatever it was. So I just thought, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what I want to do, but um, I want to control my schedule. I want to make as much money as humanly possible. And uh, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. So, nice. so 40 hours later, I was a real estate agent. So like everyone else, you found your, you found your way into real estate. Everyone else who had that same thought. Well, that's yep. cool. So tell me about your real estate career. So 2005, you graduate and, uh, and you go get your real estate, uh, your, your real estate license. You said you just kind of jump into the traditional type of residential sales role. Yeah. Yep. So I went and I was a buyer's agent on uh, a couple different teams for the first few years. Um, you know, for most of the people that probably weren't licensed back then, 2006, seven, eight, nine was kind of a rough market, um, especially in Phoenix, Maricopa County. Inventory was uh, growing massively. Buyer demand just wasn't there. So I was doing the buyer-seller business and just kind of barely getting by for those first few years. And then I actually joined up with an REO team. Um, and I was doing kind of all the REO management for all the listings. And so we had two REO accounts. Um, and so I would typically get to the office every day between 4.30 and 5 in the morning. And then I was going out and driving all of our pre-list inventory and active inventory and doing BPOs. So uh, for people that don't remember, the BPO is a broker price opinion. And so I was doing sometimes 20 or 30 of these a day, um, which in retrospect, when I look back on it, it really kind of trained me for valuing properties very quickly, uh, which was the next part of my career. Um, but those BPO days, I mean, that was a different world. I know you, you, you did them, you were around back then. Um, you know, I'm driving to the worst parts of the Valley houses that we were listing for 20, 30, $40,000. Um, you know, it was a, a big volume game cause there wasn't a lot of the, the commissions were tiny. So there's just all volume. Yeah. I always uh, like to tell people, I mean, you can only, you know, at $40,000, it's not even 3000, but, uh, you know, I, I can remember doing a, a business plan in like 2010, 2011, our average sales price was like $111,000, $114,000, something really right. low. And it's like, you can only divide $3,000 so many ways. Like you can only pay so many people with it. And it was, yeah, that's the thing about Phoenix. And uh, it was rough. There's a, it's a, it's a challenge here because you have to do volume in order, in order to survive or even make any kind of money whatsoever. Yeah, especially back then. I mean, you you had to. Yep. So okay, so you've already kind of like re referenced that. So you you talked about like your the next part of your career. So how long did that last, and what what was the next step in your real estate journey? Yeah, so I did the REO stuff for just under two years with the team. 
Um, and then next for me was investing in real estate. So uh, doing the buyer seller thing. I mean, it was fine. It was, it, you know, was what it was. I, I was a high school graduate, with no college degree. So, you know, it, it was what I needed to do. But I, it wasn't where my passion was. I didn't want to build a traditional buyer seller business. Um, so I got into buying properties at the auctions. So Arizona was a, and is a non-judicial state with foreclosures. And so five days a week, um, they were doing trustee sales to auction off foreclosed properties. And, um, go ahead. Do me a favor real quick. Cause there's some folks here who, who aren't in a non-judicial state or don't understand what that means. Can tell, can you tell me what, tell us what, yeah. the, what's non-judicial foreclosure mean? So there was no court action to foreclose on the property. So it was, a, it was assigned to a trustee and it was a very quick process. So um, once a homeowner was 90 days late in Arizona, they could potentially start the foreclosure process, they being the bank. And then 90 days after that, they could foreclose. So it was a very quick process. Um, and it was just a, an auction style process where they were auctioning off all these properties. Um, and back in the go years, I mean, we were seeing some days 200 properties uh, going up for auction in Maricopa County. Um, so there was just a, a massive amount of properties going to sale. And so I kind of built a business around that. <clears throat> and I started um, buying at properties at the auction in 2009, uh, either to buy and flip. Um, I was doing some, you know, a variation of wholesaling back then as well. Um, and we weren't big, we were buying three to five a week on average. Um, but most of what we were buying at the auctions were joint ventures that I had put together uh, with different equity partners and equity groups. Um, and, and yeah, that was, that lasted 2009 through 2012. Um, in 11, 12 and 13, that's when a lot of the big funds came into Phoenix and started buying everything up as rental properties. So they were able to bid um, higher than we were because we were buying to renovate and resell these. They were just buying them to rent them out. So um, kind of saw that the well was running dry here and there were a lot more people down at the auctions then as well. And so we started actually buying in the Colorado market, um, all the five counties surrounding Denver, Jefferson, Arapahoe. Um, so we started buying up there and, and renovating and uh, flipping in the Denver market before it got pretty busy too. And then uh, one of the things that we did up in Denver actually was I brought a company that was buying in Arizona for buy and holds. Um, I brought them up to the Denver market because I noticed that there weren't a lot of big funds that were buying rentals up there. Um, and so in a matter of 14 months, uh, my team between an agent that I had in Colorado and then my team here in Arizona, we represented them on just under 300 acquisitions, um, all on market, um, all for, for rental properties. So through working with them, learned a lot about um, how these guys underwrite their properties, how they raise money, um, and what they look for with, with regards to, to rentals. Let me go backwards a minute. So you talked about how here in, in 11 and 12, and I, man, I remember that time very well, uh, 11, 12, 13, once all, all of these big, all of the, the hedge funds started coming in here and started buying the rental properties, you know, thousands a year. Um, you talked about how that kind of squeezed you out of what you had been doing. How did that happen? So you said they could pay more money. Tell me, tell me more about that real quickly. And, and what did you, cause I know you then you took that and helped you get better at your business, but tell me more about what that was like and, and why exactly they could pay more money. So they were, um, we were buying to renovate and resell these properties really quick. So we had to have a large enough margin to buy the property today, renovate the property today 
and sell it for a higher price. And that's where our profit would be. These guys were looking at it saying, all right, we're going to buy this property. We're going to hold it for a minimum of 10 years. And we only need the cash flow to be at X return on our money. Well, because that's the way that they were buying properties, let's say I had to back off on a property at 110,000, they could likely pay 115, 118, 120. So they were essentially bidding away our profits and they had to do it to, to buy properties and, and they were just buying on a totally different model. Got it, okay. So because they were actually able, to, they could pay more because they're going, hey, I'm looking for this monthly return over yep. potentially the next 10 or 20 years. And so I, now to me, instead of this home being worth 110, it's actually worth 120 to me is how much I can pay for it and still reach my goals. Correct. Yeah. Cause they didn't have to worry about the short term profit, which is what we were doing. Gotcha. Okay. So, and that, that was when you started heading to Denver uh, and said, okay, Correct. well, there's a lot of flips going on there. And uh, I specifically remember that time. There was definitely uh, quite, quite a bigger margin there than there are, than there is today. Yeah. Um, so you started, so then you started buying and selling in Denver, but then you went and found yourself a way to represent one of these other funds there in Denver too, as an agent. Yeah. So when we were buying at the auctions up there, we, <clears throat> we noticed that there weren't any institutional funds that were buying for, for rental purposes. So um, started kind of looking at all the properties that we weren't able to buy. So when I say that um, properties that just didn't fit our buy box for, um, for flipping properties. So maybe they were too small or areas that we didn't want to buy in or just different price points. And so I actually started talking with a group out here in Scottsdale that I had sold a bunch of houses to. Uh, just about the Denver market, lack of competition, what the numbers look like, acquisition prices, um, what the rental market was like in Denver, and kind of just put together um, kind of a business model with them and for them, flew them up to Denver, toured them around for a few days, um, and then we just started doing acquisitions in, in MLS for them. Um, and we just, it was massive. I mean, we were, there were months where we were closing on 30 transactions. That's, that's insane. So, okay. That, yeah. that, so then you kind of, so you shift back from this model. Now, when you, when you were doing that, were you still buying some houses to flip up there or did you have to yeah. put, put your focus full time? How did you do that? Do you have like separate divisions? Like what's your business look like at that point? It was crazy. So um, I had one agent in Denver who uh, was essentially in his pajamas all day long and he would wake up and he would submit offers and uh, manage the transactions from his house. Then in Tempe, where my office is, I had two transaction coordinators who were doing all the back end for him up there. So I really wasn't involved in the day-to-day -day side of it up there <clears throat> with regards to Denver. Um, so I was still focusing on buying for myself and doing uh, renovations. And, and we built some spec houses in Denver and, and the resale side of it. But as far as the acquisition side, I just kind of set that up and that thing just kind of ran. Awesome. So it seems to me, so I can tell you, you obviously, um, you sway a little more towards the, the investment side of things and not as much the retail side. So how long did that last in Denver until, you know, obviously they've had, uh, and I know because um, from firsthand, we've had an expansion team in Denver now for going on five or excuse me, going on six years. And um, it, and so we've seen that, that those prices of that market just continue to go up for quite some time, I got to imagine a certain price point, or at a certain point that was no longer viable business plan for, for them, at least not as nearly as easy as it was back in like 12, 13, 14. 
Yeah, and it literally, it was like a light switch. It just stopped. I mean, they they got to just over 300 properties um, and they literally just stopped buying. It wasn't kind of a slow trickle. We kind of assumed they were going to stop buying just based on, we were buying everything sub 240. So if it was under 240,000, we were going to make an offer on it. Well, as you know, in the Denver market now, there's almost nothing below 240,000. So there's just, there's nothing for them to buy. Um, and, you know, looking back at, at those acquisitions, they've probably made 50, 60% on their money through appreciation in uh, the Denver market. Yeah, I, I would bet on that. Just just knowing where they were buying that, like that's yeah. almost- And a... we were buying stuff in the 160s, four, four bedroom properties in the 160 to 190 range. Just, it was crazy. I remember the first house we ever listed in Denver. I think it was like late 2014 because we had just launched at the fourth quarter 2014. And it was for like 160 grand. That same condo is over 300 grand today. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've had some massive appreciation. So, so this whole time too, so you've been running while you were doing Denver, doing this thing in Denver, both on the investment side, as well as uh, helping this other company on their acquisitions, you're still buying investment properties here in Phoenix too? Yep. Still doing uh, off market purchases in Phoenix. Um, we did a lot of on market stuff when, when inventory was pretty high. Um, but yeah, then we started, uh, 2014 going direct to seller and doing off market acquisitions. Cool. So how did, how do you do, how does somebody do that? How do you go sort of like, you just, you just use the words direct to seller for your acquisitions on the investment side. What, what do you do to, to do that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> mailers, we do a lot of cold calling. Uh, I have a door knocking team. So I have a group of guys that go out every morning and they door knock different neighborhoods. So they will specifically target a square mile. And then within that square mile, they'll have properties that they're going after, you know, a little bit harder than just the overall neighborhood, whether it's a pre-foreclosure, a probate situation, um, absentee owner, vacant properties. Um, so they go out every morning, they door knock, they call every afternoon. Uh, we've done mailers, we've done flyers, we've done pay-per-click advertising. Um, you know, and it's, we serve a group of homeowners who likely wouldn't be selling their properties in the MLS. Cause you know, I, I hear that a lot, you know, are they, are they leaving money on the table by, by not selling in the MLS with a traditional agent? Most of the properties we buy, these people don't want realtors involved. Um, pretty rough condition properties, uh, a lot of hoarder situations, um, just really, really rough properties that never were going to hit the MLS anyway. So we give them an outlet to sell to us. We do a lot of post possessions. We let people stay in their house for free for 30 to 60 days sometimes. So just a different, different way of selling. Gotcha. Okay. And then are you turning these all into like rentals? Are they all flips or some sort of combination of the two? Combination. So, um, for me personally, everything that, that comes into the office, I look at it as, can I buy this and rent it? Uh, if it doesn't fit that buy box, then it's all right. Can I buy it and resell it? If it fits that buy box, we'll go that direction. If we can't go that direction, um, <clears throat> I have a pretty big circle of investors that I work with. So uh, we're kind of a central hub for, for a small group of investors to acquire properties as well. So if it doesn't fit for me personally as a rental or for me personally as a flip, uh, we'll make the properties available to, to other investors. Cool. So that's kind of like your matrix. Number one, buy and hold. Number two, flip. Number three, wholesale it to another investor who it might be a fit for. Correct. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. So here's one of the cool things I like is I, and I know this. And so I'll just kind of, I was going to tee you up for, tee you up for this is because, because of that business, obviously you're trying to get directly to the consumer. Um, and like you mentioned, you, you know, off MLS or off market, if you will, um, which means you're, you're having to go there directly, which I got to imagine if you're making phone calls and you're knocking on doors, 
having that data, having the right information of people who you're calling, whose door you're knocking on, that type of stuff's got to be important to you. Yeah, for sure. So um, I've always been big on cold calling. I mean, even back in the short sale days when we were trying to get listings for, for short sales, we did a lot of cold calling. Um, so I've always been interested on the data side of the business, whether it's data on homeowners or properties or both. Um, and so my office has naturally always ingested a lot of data, whether that's, again, phone numbers or emails or property information. I mean, this dates back to 2009-10 when I was buying at the auctions. Every day we would have to go compile a list of properties that were going to go to sale the following day. And then we had some uh, different formulas in Excel that we would run <clears throat> all these properties do. And it would narrow it down to like 30 properties every day that we had an interest in based on assessed value and mortgage amount and just different characteristics. And so I've always been um, more of a decision maker on the data side of things with regards to real estate and less on the emotional side. Um, but about a year and a half ago, we were um, ingesting so much data and I had a, a business partner at the time and he, he came to me and said, hey, you know, I think I can kind of clean up some of your systems because what's common that we found in real estate is you have your lead generation system, your CRM, your prospecting system, your dialing system, and they're all very separate from each other. And the one commonality is that it takes a human being to operate and kind of connect all of these different systems. And so he came to me and he said, hey, um, well, at the time I had a, a girl working for me named Cheyenne, she's like 12 or 13 bucks an hour, just kind of doing those things, working in this software, then this one, then this one, then this one. And, um, he said, Hey, if you give me a month, I, I think I can, I can streamline your business and we're going to fire Cheyenne. I was like, cool. Let's, you know, let me know. Let's go for it. So he built out some systems and, um, within the month we, Cheyenne wasn't needed anymore. And essentially what he had done is he built out a system to where, Every day, my door knockers would go out and they would knock specific properties and they would tag the properties that they knocked and uh, with nothing more than a geolocation system. Um, and then at noon every day, his software would extract out all of those pins, essentially, uh, assign a property address to each location and then take each property address, automatically run it for ownership information, then automatically run it for contact information and then send it to our endpoint, which at the time was Mojo and then a CRM, um, every day in a new prioritized order. So as an example, if Kevin goes out and knocks on 123 West Main Street in the morning, um, when he gets back from lunch, 123 Main Street, home ownership information, contact information, property details are all in his Mojo account. Um, and so this is a real custom job. It wasn't uh, something that we could mass produce because it was very specific to my office, but it kind of opened my eyes to um, the lack of technical integration that we have in real estate with regards to just systems that don't really communicate with each other. And then we kind of looked at it and said, well, we're not just connecting these different softwares together. We're connecting them with the most valuable thing on planet earth, which is data. Right. Right. And um, that's, that was kind of what we built in 2018 and uh, kind of brought us to, to today. Yeah. So, so today, so you've got a you've got a new company called Ivy uh, Real Estate Data. Is it, what's the correct? Is it IVRE or is it Ivy Real Estate? It's IVRE Data. The website's uh, getivydata.com. Cool. Um, so it's just getivydata.com. But yeah, Ivy Real Estate Data. Awesome. So who who is this? What I love is you guys created a product based on something you use in your own business, and I'm a I'm always a big fan of that. There there's so many people in the tech space 
especially in the real estate world, selling picks and shovels who have ever mined for gold themselves, right? As, sure. my, as my coach would always say, there's more people, there's more people selling picks and shovels than there are people actually mining for gold. Um, and what I love is your product or Ivy came from a need in your own business, right? You actually built it for yourself to help you acquire more properties, which you still do currently, which to me is really important because, um, that way you don't lose touch with what here's actually what's going on. Um, and then you go and you help us, you know, I've actually been a customer, uh, of Ivy now for some time since you guys made it available. My team, I've got team members who dial on it, who dial on your data literally five days a week at, at a minimum. Um, and so it's become a product that I like to use, not just as a client, but as somebody who's, who's your friend and as somebody who puts out content for the real estate agent community around the country, to me, the important part is it came from your own personal need and it's something you use. Like you're, you're the doctor taking your own medicine. To me, that's important. Um, for sure. Tell me, so tell me more about Ivy and kind of who's it for and kind of what, how has it evolved now? Cause it's almost a year now, not quite a year, I guess coming up on three quarters of a year that you guys have made this available to, for lack of a better word, the public. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. We, we didn't set out, we didn't sit down one day and we're like, Hey, what's something that we could go build and sell and make a lot of money off of? It was 100% built for my office. Um, and it really wasn't until March of 2019 when my partner came to me and he was like, Hey, we, we're ingesting so much data and we're delivering it in such a unique way that I think that this would be something that, that consumers would be interested in. But, well, you know, you go build me a website and I'll start seeing if people have any interest in it. Um, you know, fast forward nine months, we have just under 700 customers. Uh, it's a nationwide product now. So what is Ivy? It is a data aggregation system. It is a data pipeline. Um, it is a system that can take, uh, I'll call them requests or a query in a number of formats and take that query, run it through our pipeline, uh, and then spit it out to, to multiple endpoints, attaching back contact information and property data. So an example would be, um, let's say you have a, a CRM that has hundreds of address only leads. Like you have a, a seller valuation website and you get address only leads all the time. You could take those address only leads, uh, plug them into Ivy. And then within seconds, you're going to receive back who owns that address, all their contact information, property details, sale history, loan history. Um, it's incredibly efficient and fast. And you know, we take this thing that is just an address, no ownership information, and we're able to uh, append back and match all of that data to the property address. Um, so it allows agents to take those half leads, their old leads, um, and, and really do something with them. I love that too. One of my, one of my personal favorite uh, items that you guys have is the text feature. I love yeah. being able to, hey, I've got a, I'm, I'm driving by a property, or maybe I'm even walking around a neighborhood uh, looking at a property and I go, you know what, I've got, some, you know, maybe I need to talk to this owner or whatever. I want to get their contact info and I can just text you an address and get the information received back in virtually real time. Yeah, that's what's really cool. Is it, like I said, we can take requests in an infinite amount of ways and um, from, from different areas too. So we can, yeah, like you're saying, you can send us a text message with the property address and in instantly get a response with who owns it and the contact information. Um, you can run an API call from a lead generation website directly into our system. Um, you can do a batch order. So let's say that you have a, a big file of properties that you want to contact. Um, our system can process a thousand addresses in two to four minutes. Um, so it's incredibly fast. I mean, it was built for real estate agents. 
Um, it's built for the real estate industry. So everything that we've done has been trial and error between my office internally and then some other uh, customers that we have. So it really was built by and for the real estate industry. That, that's awesome. So this is, so you're saying like, this is just for any regular agent. Like I know how I use it, but who's your ideal customer? Like who's the agent that you see who can get the most, I guess, benefit or bang for their buck by using Ivy? Teams that do a lot of prospecting. So whether it's circle prospecting, calling canceled and expired, it's open house prep. <clears throat> Those are our big users. Um, we have a lot of, a lot of agents that, that use Ivy with canceled and expired. Um, one of the nice things is that, you know, canceled and expired listing, typically it goes off of MLS. The agent takes all the contact information out. Well, now live time, as soon as the property goes canceled or expired in your MLS, you can take that address, plug it into Ivy. Seconds later, you have all the contact information. Um, so heavy, heavy prospecting teams. Those are our, our big users. Um, but we have individual agents who use the system and then we have institutional buyers who use Ivy for data. So we have, um, a few different big companies that uh, pull a, a large amount of data every month. Awesome. So now is this like a, like a big subscription thing I have to sign up for? Like someone who wants to go check it out and become a user? No. So right now <clears throat> we don't have any subscription models built out currently. We, we are building some out. Um, but for the time being, it's, it's just a pay as you go type of service. So we have some agents who come and they use us every single day. We have some that use us every few weeks to every few months. And, uh, just depends on their use case and what their needs are. But yeah, it's just, it's just a pay as you go type service. That's awesome, man. So what do you see the future? Like, how do you, what's on deck for you in 2020 with Ivy? Uh, where do you see this company going? Integrating into more, um, softwares integrating into more real estate softwares, streamlining, um, streamlining a lot of processes for real estate. So streamlining your lead generation with your prospecting, um, cleaning up your CRM with all of your half leads, um, you know, seller valuation sites. Those are, those are the big ones for me is that agents are paying to have consumers come to their website. Consumer gives them an address on like a gravity form or some sort of fill in form. Um, and then after the address, or when the agent says, all right, what's your contact information? Um, from what I'm being told, half of those leads drop off right there, right? Yeah. So agents are paying for this consumer to come to the site. The consumer said, here's where I live, and then they dropped off. We can take those drop-offs in real time, run them for contact and ownership, and then spit them to the back end of this CRM. So when an agent looks at how much am I spending on marketing, we can reduce your customer acquisition costs because now your half leads that were coming in now become viable options for you to contact. Wow. So it's one thing cause like I'm paying for all these clicks, right? Like I've got a certain budget every month to, to run traffic at this website. Um, and some people will obviously people, a certain number of people every month will fill out the form and give me all of their contact info. But what I don't know is how many of those people aren't filling out the form, right? Or maybe I do know how many people are at least putting in the address. So I, I realize like, okay, I'm missing another half or whatever that number happens to be, you know, 10, 20, 50 leads a month. Um, but what, but you're, so you're able to go out there and go, okay, they hit your account. They didn't give you all of their info, info but because we got their address, we can fill that in and give that to you. And you've now essentially yeah. just cut my, cut my lead cost in half. For sure. I mean, you know, one of the bigger groups that uses us um, in the month of November 2019, they had 3,600 visitors to their website. Of those 3,600 visitors, 900 of them 
gave them their address and contact information. So at least 2,700 more. Of those 2,700, 1,100 of them gave them an address, but nothing else. So there's 1,100 people in a 31-day calendar month or a 30-day calendar month that gave this team their, their address, but nothing else. So we can take those 1,100, run them for contact and property information, and then immediately push it to whatever endpoint they want. You know, with them, we could push directly to their CRM and also directly into their Mojo account. Um, so those are 1,100 people that came to the site, said, here's my address, but then dropped off. We're able to help you monetize those people now. That's insane, man. That's, that's such a yeah. cool thing. I love that. Um, well, so very cool. So, so growing that out here in 2020 is obviously um, big thing uh, for what you guys are doing. I, I love the fact too, I heard picked up on this a few times, like, so you're integrating with all these different softwares, like we all used it, right? There's so many different CRMs out there. And uh, you mentioned Mojo, which is a dialer. And I know there's many other dialers out there as well. Um, so there's these different softwares you guys are able to integrate and push your data into these different systems correct yep yeah that's awesome yeah very very cool well let me ask you this what what should i what have i not asked you about ivy uh maybe that i should ask you no i ivy um it's kind of become my passion project you know i'm not a tech guy like this is not my not my cup of tea um you know before before ivy i just i kind of putzed around with regards to technology but uh I've learned a lot in the last year on tech, but yeah, this is, it's kind of become my passion project. I, I have a lot of fun with it. I think it's, uh, I think it can massively help real estate agents. I mean, from what I'm seeing so far, um, you know, some of the systems that we bring and the features, it's, it's almost like agents, they're dumbfounded by this stuff because it's, it's been, it's been so hard for them to prospect profitably and lead generate profitably and that's what we do is we get, we, we reduce your, your customer acquisition costs. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's uh it's very cool. Well, Kyle, I appreciate you taking some time today uh, to, to share that with us before I let you go. Uh, I've got three questions I like, I like to end with um, just kind of a little more on the personal side. I mean, it could, it could definitely be business, but just for folks to kind of get to know you a little bit, Tell me, uh, I'll ask, I'll tell you the three and then we can go in any order you wish. But so my last three sign off questions are number one, tell me something you're really excited about. Um, currently tell me something that you've changed your mind on in the last couple of years and tell me something that is uh, odd or weird about you. And that could be something like a habit or a hobby or, or something like that. Okay. Uh, something weird about me. I, not that weird. I'm getting my pilot's license right now. So that's more of a hobby type thing. So really? Yeah. So I'll, I should be done with that by the end of the month. You mean like a drone um, pilot's license? No, like an aeroplane. Like I'm flying around. You remind me to never get in the airplane with you. Um, actually right. I won't need the reminder. I'm never, uh, you're going to drive one of those little airplanes. That's insane. Uh, oh yeah. Good for you, man. I will, dri I will drive an airplane. Something I'm excited about. Um, I think 2020 is going to be an interesting year. Um, I'm excited to see what happens with the real estate market. Uh, I think we, uh, we are oversaturated on agents. I think the agent count is massively high. I don't know if this is true or not. I heard it from a title rep recently. This is something like 80 to 85% of the active licenses today are newer than 2014. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, I saw some stat the other day. It was something like, more than 25% of the active license, and this is in Arizona specifically, was like a little more than 25% of the active licenses 
were licensed in 2017 or later. So basically the last two plus okay. years. Um, okay. And so I didn't see the stat for 2014, but um, I, I, t- I was talking with a friend who she tracks, she's literally been tracking this type of stuff and not too surprised. Cause you know, the amount of the, the attrition rate in this industry is so high. Uh, the turnover is so high that there's always a large number of newer agents, but I, I would agree with you. There's, there's definitely a large amount of agents right now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens this year, you know, especially Maricopa County, our inventory is low. Um, I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens this year. I think this is going to be kind of a big year, not necessarily bad or good. Just, I think it'll be a really interesting year to see what happens. Yeah, no doubt. All right. And last one, anything you've changed your mind on in the last couple of years? I think I've changed my mind on in the last couple of years. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm nothing nothing I can think of offhand. All right. Well, maybe we'll, we'll circle back to that one later. All right, dude, uh, Kyle, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. And, uh, where, where can, tell us again, one one more time, where can people find you at, uh, find specifically you and or Ivy? Yeah. If they want to reach out to me, Kyle at get IVdata.com. So just K Y L E at I, uh, get I V Y D A T A.com. Awesome. And then that's the URL too is get IVdata.com. Yep. Right on. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule today to share with us, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. I appreciate it. All right, guys, take it easy, and uh, we'll talk to, you, talk to you on the next episode. That's it for today's show. Do me a favor if you enjoy this. Go over to iTunes or wherever you're listening at. We'll leave us a review. Share this episode with your friends. And for more great content, check us out in our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash next level agents. That's facebook.com forward slash groups, next level agents. See you soon.